Good morning, afternoon, or evening, depending on when you choose to watch this video. This is what I am praying is the first of only a few sermons that we have to do in this format uh, while we are unable to worship together as a church family. If you are a member or regular attender of New Hope, you received uh, a link to this video through your email along with an outline for the message as well as a few other uh, important things to know, uh, songs to listen to, uh, to prepare your hearts and all that good stuff. If you are tuning in on Facebook, perhaps uh, you are curious. We are certainly glad to have you uh, watching along as well. I am taking a break from my study that we've been working on from 2 Corinthians to take a little detour into Romans chapter 8 uh, with the hope of encouraging us all during these uncertain days. Uh, Romans chapter 8 really emphasizes God's sovereignty and goodness towards his people, and it's my prayer that this will be an encouragement to you. New Hope uh, family, if you have any needs at all, please don't hesitate to reach out to me uh, via email or through the church telephone line. Uh, if you are watching uh, and are not affiliated with New Hope and you have questions, uh, you can reach us through uh, our Facebook chat. You can send us a message on our Facebook page and someone will get back to you as soon as we can. Uh, but again, it's my prayer that we will all be encouraged by this reminder from God's word uh, about his goodness and power and his work in our lives, especially as we face difficult circumstances. Uh, before we get started, I'd just like to open in a word of prayer. Lord, I ask you for help uh, as I share your word. Lord, help me to speak clearly and accurately the truth of your word. I pray for those who are listening, Lord, whatever time uh, they, they hear this, Lord, that your spirit would move upon their hearts. Be glorified in this, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I mentioned before that uh, we're taking a little detour into the book of Romans, and I want to, to focus specifically on Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 30. Uh, I'll read those uh, for you, and then we'll talk a little bit about the context, and then we will dive right in. Uh, Romans 8, verses 28 through 30. The Apostle Paul writes, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, this really is a, 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 an important point in, in what is really a great chapter in the book of Romans. Who am I kidding? All of Romans is, is an incredible book. All of the Bible is, is an incredible book. Uh, but especially as we are, are facing uncertainty as it relates to the coronavirus, uh, these few verses provide such important truth for us to really hang our faith on 
while we wait to see what God's going to do in this, while we seek to be faithful in the midst of uh, this trial that we're facing together, and as we seek to glorify him as the body of Christ. Now, I mentioned before that I share a, a little about the context. Romans chapter 8 contains powerful words for Christians as we've been called to be faithful in this life. We really want our lives to glorify God. Romans chapter 8 begins this way. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. The Apostle Paul writes, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then in verse 9, we find another powerful reminder from the Apostle Paul about the call to be faithful. He says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. So not only have we the promise that we have faced no condemnation because we are in Christ, we also have the promise of life in the Spirit of God because the Spirit of God dwells in us. And then in verses 12 through 17, the Apostle Paul continues by emphasizing the fact that those who have been given this new life in the Spirit have been called, we're obligated to live in obedience and faith because we are now called children of God. That is great news. We, we haven't just been saved, forgiven because of the faithfulness of Jesus so that one day we will go to heaven, but we've also been saved so that we can live in a way now that reflects the greatness and the love of God for those who turn to him in faith. And then in Romans uh, chapter 8, verses 18 through 27, we see that Christians have been given, been given new life and been made new creations through Christ, yet we still live in this fallen world. We, we still deal with the effects of sin. And we see these effects of sin in, in natural disasters through diseases, which we're dealing with right now. We, we feel these effects more acutely today as we're unable to meet together because of the coronavirus. And this is all part of the groaning of creation that Paul refers, refers to in verse 22. Now I'm going to read these verses to, to you in just a little bit. But it's not just creation that's groaning under the weight of sin, is it? No, we too feel the effects of sin in our own bodies as well. We're tempted and tried. We're, we're tired and downtrodden. And this should cause us, too, to long for the day when Jesus returns to make all things new. Brothers and sisters, such trials challenge our faith. Now, looking at the pain and suffering in this world, the philosopher John Stuart Mill, who was not a Christian, concluded that either one thing, one of two things must be true about God. Either God is good, but he's not all-powerful, or he's all-powerful, but he's not good. Now, in days like this, we might be tempted to begin to think this way as well. But, but friend, let me encourage you that nothing could be further from the truth the late pastor and theologian R.C. Sproul points out that the problem with Mill's conclusion is that he does not take into account the ruin that sin has brought to creation. And that's really what brings me to 
Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 30. You see, as we look at these verses, we are comforted as we consider God's sovereign hand at work in our lives. Let, let's con consider God's sovereignty first from verse 28. The Apostle Paul writes, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Now that alone is a great promise, but we cannot divorce verse 28 from the verses that come before it. The, the sufferings of this present time, the trials, the groanings of creation, even the, the groanings of the people of God. All of this and much, much more are encompassed in the phrase, all things work together for good. Now, let me read these verses to you, just, just to, to give you that context. I'll begin at verse 18, as, as the Apostle Paul talks about the sufferings that he and, and the Christians in Rome were facing in the present time, but this also applies uh, to the sufferings that we face as well. Romans chapter 8, verse 18. The Apostle Paul writes, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revelation of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope, that is, expectation, that the creation itself will be set free from the bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Paul's talking about the day that the Lord returns to, to make all things new. He continues in verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And then we find verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Now, with that context, that promise that all things work together for our good, it, it is all the more glorious, right? <laughs> And that Greek word that's translated all things, that means all. It means total, every kind of thing. That's pretty encompassing, right? All things work together for our good. This is one of the great promises of Scripture, but it is a specific promise made to a select group of people and Paul identifies those people before and after the phrase, all things work together for good. He says, 
for those who love God. And then he continues after, for those who are called according to his purpose. Now, friend, understand that, that the Apostle Paul is not referring to two separate groups of people, those who love God and those who are called according to his promise. Those are, are, are two ways to describe one group of people, those who have received salvation through faith in Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul goes on to describe the call and God's purpose in verses 29 and 30. But before we run ahead, there is great comfort waiting for us here in verse 28. Romans 8 highlights God's sovereignty in a way that should carry us through this quarantine and every other trial we face. Now that word sovereignty is an important word for the Christian because it describes God's rule, his supremacy, his greatness, his kingship over all that he has made, his power. It's a strong word that describes an all-powerful God. And verse 28 reminds us that God's control extends to every situation we face. He is sovereign over all he has made. There is not one atom in existence. No, not even one virus that is outside God's sovereign control. Christian, you who love God, you who've been called according to his purpose, and he is at work for your good even now. Even as you don't know or you may not know where your next paycheck will come from, even as you battle cancer, the flu, even the coronavirus or, or whatever may come, in material loss and gain, in sickness and in health, for better or worse, all things means all things. And in all things, Christian, God is at work for your good. Even when it hurts, God is at work for your good. Trials have a way of stripping us of everything unnecessary, distractions, and, and, and exposing the desires of our hearts. And this is God at work, conforming us to the image of his son, Jesus. What God deems as good for us is always best, brothers and sisters. Best for us is God growing us in our faith and allowing us to reflect his glory in this lost world. And it's key that we remember this in the weeks that lie ahead. He loves us and he will not waste this trial in our lives, dear Christians. How do we know he can do it? Well, verses 29 and 30 show, the, show us that if God can work the miracle of salvation, redeeming our trials is a small deal for a sovereign God. Let that sink in. If God can save us through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ, then he certainly can redeem these trials in our lives. I pray that will encourage you today, dear brother. Dear sister, let's look at 
verses 29 and 30, as Paul uses this example of God's work of, of salvation as, as the reminder that, that his sovereignty is enough to redeem our trials for our good. Paul continues in verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. These verses reveal to us that, that, that comfort can be found also from God's work in our salvation growth and our glorification. Now in this passage, these verses, Paul presents the work of salvation from God's perspective uh, in order to comfort the Romans and us and remind us of God's faithfulness and power. Now, if you've been at New Hope uh, any significant amount of time, you've heard me use this illustration to, to describe how the Bible prevent, presents salvation. Uh, it's like a diamond, and it's multifaceted. In some passages, we look at salvation presented from man's perspective. God calls us to respond in faith to the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that in order to deal with this problem of sin, God sent his son, Jesus, to live the perfect life that we could never live but to die on the cross, bearing God's wrath, not for sins that he had committed, but for the sins that we have committed, in order that we would be made righteous in God's sight, accepted by God, and adopted into his family. This is the good news of the gospel. And, and, and in verses like John 3, 16, we're, we're, we're called to believe, to respond in faith to what Christ has done. The, the emphasis is on what we should do in response to what God has done. Here in, in Romans chapter 8, the Bible turns that diamond of the gospel and presents it from God's perspective. R.C. Sproul has described these verses as the golden chain of salvation, where we view the, the gospel from the lens of what God is doing rather than primarily from the call for man to respond in faith. It doesn't disqualify the role of faith any more than uh, John 3.16 disqualifies the work of God in salvation. But the focus is primarily on what God is doing. In verse 29, uh, the Apostle Paul writes in these ways, he talks about those whom God foreknew, those whom God predestined, those who God would conform to the image of his son. Those are, those are action words that describe what God is doing rather than what man has done. And God was at work from before when the world was created until the day that we will be glorified with him. This, this work of salvation is eternal. 
It, it happened before we were ever born, and, and it will continue to that day that, that, that we are with God forever. It, it's a great picture described here in, in verses 29 and 30. Let me read those to you again. The Apostle Paul writes, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Let's look first at, at verse 29, because these are, are, are important phrases for, for us to, to, to see God's sovereign hand at work in salvation. The first phrase there in, in verse 29 is those whom he foreknew. Foreknew is a, is, a, is a beautiful word in the Bible, especially in the Greek. It, it means intimate knowledge of someone beforehand. Oftentimes when, when people talk about God's foreknowledge, they talk about it in a, in a sanitized way in terms of, oh, well, well, God just knew ahead of time who would respond in faith to the gospel. No, that, that, that is a, a very weak understanding of what the Apostle Paul is getting at here. This, this foreknowledge is an intimate knowledge of you and I, Christian. Before God created the world, he knew you, not just knew of you, not just knew that, that someday that you would be saved, but, but he knew the type of person you would be. He, he, he knew that, that he would draw you unto, self, unto himself for salvation. He, he, he knew what type of personality you would have. He, he knew what gifts he would give. This is an intimate and, and deep knowledge of you before your parents were ever born. If God knew you then, how can he not be at work now in your life for your good? Paul says not only that he foreknew us, but that he predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. That's, that's a powerful phrase, that our word predestined. It means to decide beforehand. We see Paul use this word again in Ephesians uh, chapter 1, verse 4. I'll start at verse 3. Paul writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. This is not just some passive knowledge. God was actively at work drawing us to himself. He, he decided before the world was made 
that we would be his, how can he not work all things together for our good? And we see at the end of verse 29 that he did all of these things that we would be conformed. That, would, that means that we would become like him. We would reflect Christ's qualities, his characteristics in this world, that we would bring glory to him so that he would be the firstborn. A better way to understand that is that he would have first place or that he would be preeminent over all of us, his followers, his brothers and sisters. That, that, that's a beautiful picture of, of what God has done and why he has done it. But Paul doesn't stop there. Verse 30, he continues. He says, and those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Again, these are, are great descriptions of what God has sovereignly done to bring us to himself. We, 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 we discussed predestination just a moment ago. So the, the next phrase there is, is the word called. And, and Paul is referencing God's effectual call in our lives. What that means is, is that when God, God calls us, the effect will be that we will respond to that call. He calls and we answer. Justification is the next phrase there. Those whom he called, he, he also justified. Justification is the act of God declaring us righteous in his sight because of, of, of the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. You see, friend, when, when you come to Christ in faith, when you respond in faith to the gospel, we are declared legally righteous in God's sight. Our guilt, our sin has been dealt with through Jesus' faithfulness and his death on the cross where he bore the wrath of God. And as a result, we are credited with his righteousness. We are righteous because our Savior is righteous. And it doesn't stop there. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, Paul writes in the past tense about something that, that is ultimately going to be a future reality. Yes, we experience Christ's, Christ's glory in this life, but there will be a day, and, and Paul actually alluded to it uh, back in, in chapter 8, uh, um, in verses 18 through uh, 26, where we're Paul talks about the day that we are, are vindicated. We are, we, we are revealed as being the sons of God. We're gonna be glorified with him. But Paul in verse 30 writes in the past tense about a future reality because he wants us to, to have a certainty as it relates to God's sovereignty and what God will do. This is great news, brothers and sisters. I, I hope that you can see the great security and, and confidence that, that we should have in our present circumstances. We, we have nothing to fear. We, we don't need to fear our circumstances. We don't need to fear sickness. We do not need to fear man. We do not need to fear death. 
Don't believe me? Let's look at the rest of Romans chapter 8. Paul has pointed to God's sovereignty here in our salvation in order to to remind us that that, that he's got us now and he's got us eternally. Listen to Romans 8, 31 through the end of the chapter. Paul continues, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? If it is God who justifies, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. What a beautiful reminder from God's word. If God is sovereign over our salvation, we can be sure that he indeed will use all things for our good, especially the hard things, brothers and sisters. Paul wants the people of God, he wants us to be established and sure in a world that is filled with uncertainty. I had a a great conversation on Friday with uh, one of the uh, gentlemen who delivers the mail here in Marietta. Uh, He's a believer. He's one of the first people I met once we moved into the borough, and he is a great guy. And we were talking about uh, many of the conversations that he's having with the people that he encounters as he delivers the mail. And there is a lot of fear and, and doubt and uncertainty, and they are looking to him for answers. And I said, you know, Eli, one of the, one of the, the, the things that we really have to watch out for as a church is that we, too, don't get caught up in that sense of uncertainty and fear. And he said, you know what? You're right. Right now is the time when Christians ought to shine. And he is exactly right. Christians, now is the time for us to shine. We have the words of life, the gospel. We we can't convince anyone, but we can freely tell others of the great love of God as as revealed revealed in the sacrifice of Jesus for our lives sins. Now, we should be cautious. We should follow the advice of medical professionals, and and, and when the government uh, makes suggestions that that are not sinful, we, we should obey those. But I believe that God will open the door for us to, to, to glorify him 
during this time of of so much doubt and uncertainty. We should love our neighbors and we should show them the love of Christ. We should rise to the occasion as the church to love one another well. And we should look for and celebrate the ways that we see that God is at work in this, in these trials for our good. Brothers and sisters, we must reprioritize our lives in a way that best reflects God's glory, mercy, and love at a time when so many people desperately need to to, to receive this love through faith in Christ. So will we, brothers and sisters, rise to the occasion with God's help? I, I believe we will. New Hope family, I, I have heard so many good reports of, 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 of how you've been reaching out to one another and, and encouraging and caring for one another. And, and I would encourage you to, to, to continue with that each and every week. Love your brothers and sisters well. Also be aware of the needs around you. And may God be glorified as we seek to honor him during this trial. Thank you, and may God bless you.